0: Hello and welcome to Primal Screen, a show and podcast all about screen culture, from movies on the big screen to whatever you're streaming. We are broadcasting tonight from the Triple R studios, which are on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation. This is and always will be Aboriginal land. I'm your host, Flick Ford, and tonight we're spotlighting some of the best docos that are currently available to stream or see at the cinema. And to help me with this task, making a double debut on Primal Screen, I'm joined by documentary filmmaker Daniel Haywood. Hey, Daniel.
1: Hey, Flick. Thanks for having me today.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. And we've also got festival manager Erin Rosenberg. Hey, Erin. Hey, Flick. I love that you're both making your debut together. <laughs> <laughs> been meaning to chat with you both on air for a very long time. So, Daniel, your work includes short films, features, documentaries and music videos. Uh, In 2006, you produced and directed the documentary short, Troy. Mm -hmm. And later that year, you took on the assistant director role for the feature doco men's group. You also worked on Pauline Chan's 33 Postcards, Richard Lowenstein's Autoluminescent, Uh, Roland S. Howard which is one of my favourite docos Great doco Yeah and a whole heap of television specials as well Your first feature doco this is Roller Derby was released in 2011 and the following year you presented your second feature Graphic Novels Melbourne which actually features the wonderful Bernard Calleo It does Yeah You know
1: Bernard pretty well Yeah (laughs) Yeah,
0: We worked uh, readings together and many listeners will actually recognise Bernard as a regular guest on Richard Watts Smart Arts So this year you released your third feature doco, Vigilantes Forever, which documents the no- notorious Vigilantes outlaw bikie gang. And I understand you're currently directing a feature doco on the history of Melbourne hip hop.
1: I am. It's a little, I was saying a li- before, it's a little hush hush just because we're not exactly sure what it's going to be yet. It's kind yeah. of, it's going along amazingly well. We've been filming since middle of the year. Probably got about a dozen interviews in the can, catching up with all forms all generations of different hip-hop artists in Melbourne Um, and it's kind of it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and it's that classic kind of okay we need to maybe stop for a minute and just kind of figure (laughs) out exactly what this is going to be and how much we need to expand Mm. on this story Um, so definitely a feature length but it's also looking potentially um, to be a serialised project. Which gives me massive anxiety just even saying that out (laughs) (laughs) loud. All
0: right, well, not too much pressure. But, you know, looking at your work, it really does traverse a wide range of topics and subcultures. I'm curious to know what it is about documentary form that you're drawn to telling these stories in this manner.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny. Originally, um, when I went to film school, I think we all... I mean, I don't want to say us all, but most people I went to film school with were all going to be directors of sort of narrative films. Mm. And I wanted to go to film school to learn to shoot on 16 mil and cut on film and be like a real filmmaker and documentary never really factored into that sort of way of thinking. I never really thought about documentary as a filmmaking sort of art form. Um, But when I got to film school, uh, I was terrible at pitching film ideas. No one gave me a shot at directing uh, a film on 16 mil. And there was this art form over here, documentary that was presented that we could direct a short doco and no one wanted to do the documentaries. And I was surprised. I was like, mm. yeah, I'll jump. If I can direct anything at this point, I don't mind. So it was kind of jumping in. Um, and then as I started to kind of get involved in in that process of of directing documentary and finding a subject and then researching that subject and kind of putting that story together it kind of just felt like a more natural filmmaking process in Mm. a way if that makes more sense it's it's sort of more organic and being able to sort of get into people's lives I've sort of said in the past I've sort of I've never really been part of a particular scene or a subculture so for me I get to rent time in people's lives and in Mm. people's kind of subcultures and I get to spend a little bit of time there and I get to hang out with them and sort of be a part of this world for a little bit and then I get to leave yeah it's kind of nice it's it's kind of yeah it's it's sort of it, it sort of suits I guess my sort of filmmaking sensibilities and, and sort of the way I live my life.
0: Yeah, and I think that documentary offers that to to audiences as well. I, I love docos and I love getting an opportunity to talk about docos, so that's why I'm very excited to have you both yeah. on tonight because there is something about being able to step into a different world for, you know, and if, even if it's a short of 20 minutes or a or two-hour feature. Yeah, there is something tremendously intimate often about a documentary form. On tonight's show, I'm going to ask both of you to kind of give us some some hot tips on documentary gems that are currently uh, streaming or at cinemas. Daniel, what's your first recommendation for tonight?
1: So my first recommendation flick uh, is a film. Um, it's not, you know, very obscure. A lot of people have probably heard about it. It's called Dogtown Z-Boys.
0: Yeah, classic.
1: Classic. <laughs> uh, and I guess I've, I've chosen that tonight to talk about because really that came out in 2001, directed by Stacey Peralta, who... For all those who don't know what the film's about, it's actually about the birth of kind of street skateboarding and that whole scene in the 70s and kind of what that built up to, as we know, skateboarding to be today. Mm. Uh, so Stacy was actually part of the Zephyr team, the skateboarders at that time. So perfect kind of person to tell that story from the inside and kind of um, had access to, to sort of everyone and, and, and the whole story. I guess I, I chose it. It's 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 on a couple of streaming services. I'm pretty sure it's on Amazon and Apple TV. Mm-hmm. For me, yeah, coming out in 2001, you know, I was a teenager in the 90s. That was kind of when I was really wanting to be a filmmaker and I was kind of ingesting as many films as I could. And again, like I mentioned before, Doco was never really on my radar. But this was kind of like the first documentary that came out. And I actually went to the movies to see it because I was not a huge skateboarder as a teenager. But again, being a teenager in the 90s, we all dabbled in skateboarding. It was just <laughs> the way that it was. Um, <laughs> So I went along and and it was just one of those films that blew me away with the way a, a doco could be put together. I, For me, up until that point, it was kind of, ah, oh yeah, it's sort of like a talking head, very polite talking head, and we'll cut to a photo <laughs> and we might have a little bit of footage. And it's just this kind of, yeah, okay, the story's coming along and I'm, I'm getting kind of what they're saying, but there's not much sort of sexiness or excitement to it. And for me, this was the first doco that had that sexiness and excitement it was cut and the editing in it I've never I had never seen up until that point it was just so dynamic what they were doing with photos the movement the repetition the sound I just it it was just something I'd never experienced and I and I I think even in today's docos I'm not saying people have copied that aesthetic from that film but it's Oh, it was quite
0: defining though, wasn't it?
1: Oh, absolutely. It was kind of, it's sort of, the doco has become to me almost like that fast, exciting kind of narrative sort of style rather than that sort of beginning of being slow and, not that they're all like that, but I'm just...
0: <laughs> that particular... You know. But Yeah, you're right. It does tap into a particular kind of skate doco. And earlier this year, I got to chat with uh, Rick Janowski, who's the director oh. of Warm Blood, which played at uh, Melbourne International Film Festival earlier in the year. Uh, chatting with him, I was really made aware of that connection between skating and filmmaking. You know, he's a filmmaker now, but he started off as a skater. And he was like, well, we're all making film, but we're doing it to to show off our stunts so like those kind of camera techniques and angles and all the aesthetic of the skate video was about capturing the stunt and trying to make sure that that was on display kind of as a spectacle I mean he's done a feature feature document a feature film uh, not documentary but it has lots of documentary aesthetics to it and so yeah it made me think a lot about that as a genre of the skate documentary which you know Dogtown and Z-Boys definitely fits into
1: Totally, totally. And, and for me too, um, I guess the beauty of Stacy directing that film and having access to all those photos and all that incredible archival footage that they'd captured over the years, to be able to use all that and put that story together, it sort of added too to that kind of alternative kind of flavour of that film. And even, you know, they managed, one of my favourite sort of parts of that film is they managed to obviously snag... Sean Penn as a narrator yeah and you know I don't know how they did that maybe he's a huge skateboarding (laughs) fan or something but um obviously they had him for an hour and it was like all right Sean we have got to (laughs) nail this narration we're gonna get through this I don't know how much they had to pay him yeah and so they sort of like you know they've obviously put him in a booth and they're like all right read it out Sean go for it yeah and um there's a part in the film where he's reading it out or he's doing his narration and he stops and he clears his throat and he has a cough and then just keeps on going and they haven't bothered editing it or <laughs> redoing so it. That's interesting, yeah. Um, but it adds to, again, that sort of punk rock skateboard aesthetic Yeah, that I just love about that film.
0: It's so lovely when you see aspects of, you know, punk music and the, that approach of it being incomplete or kind of rough around the edges and then you see it brought onto screen through, through the techniques and, and approaches. You mentioned before uh, it's a soundscape for this film. So what do we hear on this film?
1: Just even little, like on transitions of photos, there might be like a little clip, like someone, like I don't know if anyone out there has ever used the Steenbeck, how we used to cut film on oh, a Steenbeck. Right.
0: Oh, I've never used one. I know what you're talking about Okay, <laughs> yeah. So you used to run the film through <laughs> mm, and you'd have a splicer
1: yeah. and you'd splice it. So you might yeah. hear a sound of a splice going, and wow. that was like a nice transition or, yeah. you know, skateboarding, they hit each other and there's like the boof, you yeah. know, that kind of sound. Again, it was using sound effects that you might hear in narrative films. They're putting that into documentaries now, and it was just adding just another little layer of kind of excitement and and kind of, yeah, just a bit of flavour. I mean, just for me, sort of that film kind of prepared me in a way of how I wanted to approach, say, my first... So this is Roller Derby's the first doco or feature-length documentary that I made in 2011. Um, Similar kind of subculture... So Dogtown was kind of like my blueprint to go, okay, this is kind of how I want to put this film together and this is definitely the kind of stylistic approach that I want to use with the fast edits, the exciting... You know, you want to feel like you're out there on the track. You want to feel like you're skating with these people. That was a huge influence on me and I kind of watched Dogtown and not learned how to edit but certainly copied it to a degree where it's almost hard now, Flick, to kind of pull it back and go, okay, we don't need to edit so fast now. We need to take our time. Maybe on this project we can have a breath and not go so crazy, but it's it's, it's almost impossible because I just constantly go back to that film to go, they just did such an amazing job of putting that story together and making it exciting. It's, it's one of those films, you know, everyone sort of talks about, like, they'll turn on the TV and if Scarface is on or Goodfellas or something, they'll have to sit there and what if, if Dogtown's ever on... That's the one for me where you have to, no matter where you turn it on in the film, that's where you've got to sit and you've got to watch it to the end. It's yeah. impossible not to. <laughs>
0: And I think a lot of that has got to do with the wonderful kinetic energy that it has and, and that is down to a lot of the editing techniques that they're using and like you said, I suppose depending on the subject matter, it is, is, would really inform what kind of um, everything that you decide to do of how you decide to tell the story, how you decide to set up the camera angle, oh. what kind of pacing you have to it. And I do love it when films seem to really map that body onto the experience of what they're trying to document. I was thinking of Emil Corton Wilson's um, Man on earth documentary where there's so many long takes in that and so many beautiful like deliberations and you really have this sense of duration with that film and it's almost like such a different kind of duration that you have in Doctor- I and mean, they're very different films but I did think about the pacing of those mm-hmm. and how we get a sense of moving with this skating body.
1: I sometimes wonder if I have ADD flick because <laughs> that is, yeah, what I relate rather than I'd love to be able to make something like a meals film, like where it's, you know, very slow and thought provoking. Yeah, but yeah. So I just, there's something in my brain. <laughs> this is kind of what I gravitate to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. Oh, just... there's
0: a space for both. I I love both fast and slow cinema and I I definitely share your love of Dogtown and Z Boys. I like you said, growing up and ha- skate culture was a massive part. I grew up in Perth and I just feel as though if you're into punk it was very much went hand in hand you mentioned before the soundscape the soundtrack as well for this film has some absolute bangers uh goes for more of a rock vibe
1: yeah it's got more of that sort of 70 i mean because the story takes place in the 70s venice beach california um but they've obviously pulled the most classic tracks rock and roll tracks from the 70s so you got black sabbath in there Jimi hendrix you got a bit of alice cooper zeppelin and you know, like the classic kind of tracks, like "Good Times," "Bad Times," yeah. "Paranoid," you know, <laughs> "Easy Rider." And that's the other thing. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. I always wanted to know about this movie, for such a, a small budget, small doco. Obviously, you know, they couldn't afford to do a second take on Sean Penn, but they must have had a music budget for these incredible (laughs) music tracks. I don't know how they could have afforded it.
0: wrote some very groveling letters. I don't know.
1: (laughs) I, I don't know how the copyright thing works. Maybe there's like... Because it's very kind of like 10 seconds here, 10 seconds there. So maybe it kind of plays into that. I don't know.
0: Quite possibly. Daniel, thank you so much for your first recommendation. I'm excited to hear what we've got coming up next. Erin, I feel as though you wear many hats, (laughs) involved in many festivals. How are we even going to begin to surmise all the different programs you're involved in? Give us
2: a recap. Sure. So I work (laughs) across a number of festival projects, At the moment, uh, the Jewish International Film Festival is on in cinemas across uh, nationally, in fact. Uh, That's a festival that showcases the best Jewish-themed films from across the world. Year-round, we also present uh, Europa Europa, which is a festival of European cinema, CHIF, which is Children's International Film Festival, and Fantastic Film Festival Australia, which showcases sort of subversive, outside-of-the-box, wacky, challenging, interesting films. Uh, So it keeps you pretty busy. Uh, You know, it's it's really a a privilege for me to be able to work in that space and kind of project manage these really exciting festivals that, that speak to very different audiences, I think, as well
0: yeah absolutely that's very diverse and you actually studied documentary film at uni so yeah. why did you first make that decision to focus in on docos
2: yeah so I, I i did an undergrad in media and then i think i was really uh you know a bit lost and a bit unsure as to what i would do sort of professionally and of course everybody knows documentary is a very lucrative career choice um <laughs> so, so the big <laughs> money is that's exactly my parents were like oh cool yep um how do you make money again um but yeah, it was fine um yeah so when to the, I went to the VCA and studied documentary, um, which was this incredible, I guess, opportunity for for me to learn about storytelling, for me to mm. lo- learn about, yeah, I mean, as Daniel said before, doco is so about kind of immersing yourself in communities and s- learning from people and learning, I guess, uh, how they lead their lives and how they mm. live their lives. Um, so perhaps I was... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not currently a documentary filmmaker. I don't identify as a documentary <laughs> filmmaker. But, you know, those two years gave me this real understanding and uh, real understanding of, of, the, uh, of the form and of story. Um, but also, yeah, I guess sort of strengthened my love for, for nonfiction mm. uh, yeah, across the board.
0: And it so often gets forgotten. I mean, like, that was the point I was trying to make before is that, like, it so often gets seen as the subject sometimes can take precedence over the actual filmmaking itself, where Mm. there is an art to it and there is so many different approaches in documentary filmmaking just seems to be a tendency sometimes to be like oh it's about this and the focus of the reviews will always be on the subject which is great because I think sometimes particularly with some documentary styles is to kind of take a back seat and simply to present as best as possible a story on screen and to remove yourself. We obviously have documentary um, filmmakers who very much insert themselves into the story Mm -hmm. or um, you know every
2: decision you make though is is shaping that story you have a huge influence there. Absolutely. I mean, docu- you know, in my opinion, documentary is like a a, a totally subjective uh, art form. Oh, you know, the, absolutely. The, the, <laughs> the, f- the filmmaker, the director, has full control over the story he's yeah. telling. You know, he's he's producing his version, his or her version um, of events, You know, and yeah. I think that it's it's incorrect to assume that what you're seeing is a is a you know the subjective truth because it's not. Someone's kind of shaped it the the way it is and chosen to tell a particular sort of story, but uh, that, that doesn't sort of dilute from the delight of it, I think. No, not at all. I think what I
0: what I really love about documentary is that sometimes there can be this sense of you're being persuaded one way or the other and this sense of, of manipulation that the filmmaking can, can really put, bring to the subject. Um, but conversely also there's a real poeticism to some documentaries that I'm completely swept away with and I think... Knowing that there is a true subject at the core, regardless of how um, manipulated that film is, is really quite fascinating and a central part of why I love doco so much. But Erin, let's (laughs) get—I feel like you've—you must have watched so many docos. I can't imagine how difficult this task was to choose just a few to talk about. Um, oh, it's a pleasure. <laughs> what's your first pick for tonight?
2: So, um, yeah, I wanted to talk about Hands on a Hard Body, uh, which is directed by S.R. Bindler uh, it's from the from the 90s, from 97. Uh, and it actually wasn't really on my radar uh, until sort of the last few weeks where a couple of my colleagues uh, had been talking about this film. So, yeah, it's a, it's a doco that... Uh, Follows the 1995 Hands-On Hard Body. It's a bit of a tongue twister. Uh, <laughs> competition, uh, which uh, follows 20 Texans uh, in their attempts to win a hard body, which is just a Ute, like a truck. Uh, and the way the way that they do it is it's a it's a competition of endurance, whereby the person who can keep their hand on the truck for the longest wins the car. So it's kind of this. <laughs> peculiar charming portrait of you know middle America in the 90s uh the film is very sort of non-judgmental just chats to people as they're kind of waiting out this period of time <laughs> um and it's it's really yeah it's there's such a kind of roll call of peculiar characters um that that you can't help but just sort of fall in love with them it's a yeah. very watchable doco uh even though, you know, sensibly like, you know, I'm not interested in cars, but it's not about cars. It's about people (laughs) and desire and, um, you know, humanity, I guess, is, Almost like this, like existential doco, despite it being about like the most mundane competition ever. You <laughs> and
0: know? and it's such a specific <laughs> thing. Like we were chatting before about subcultures with Daniel, totally. and like, <laughs> this seems like super niche, next level niche,
2: super niche. But you know, everyone is so serious about it because yeah. I mean, it is a kind of serious proposition, really, to win a fifty. You know, it's fifteen thousand dollars sort of a 90, 95, I mean, you know, a pretty valuable truck and all you got to do is stand with your hand on the car for <laughs> 90 hours or something, you know, so. <laughs> is that how long it goes for? Yeah, like yeah, it? I think in, in this 90, wow. contest, the winner sort of tap, uh, the you know, the, the longest longest standing person, won't spoil the film, um, you know, hangs on for around 80, 84 hours or something. Wow. Do they eat? Yeah, year? so they get they get f- like five-minute breaks uh, every hour and then a 15-minute break every six hours. So, you know, everyone <laughs> – right. uh, what's really an entertaining aspect of the film is like, you know, everyone's ap- different approaches to sort of sustenance and to kind of, you know, how where they're sitting. Some of them bring deck chairs to sit on so they can put Yay. their feet up. Some of them sit on the pavement. Um, there's also, of course, um, a, a key element of, of this competition is – You know, you can't sleep during this period. There's no sleep breaks. That would be the worst part of sleep deprivation. I'd I'd be out (laughs) real quick. But um, you know, so everyone has also different tactics when it comes to approaching sort of the lack of sleep. There's a few contestants who are like, I haven't slept in days in preparation. I've been preparing. It's like, oh god, that's not the way you do it. And surely some (laughs)
0: illegal substances going on. Well, they
2: do drug tests. They're drug tested. There is um, one of my favorite sort of. you know, a dietary a prep. One of the guys, he decides he's just going to eat Snickers bars, like across the, oh, the competition. He's like, yeah, you know, I used to be an athlete. It's like, yeah, you used to be, clearly. Used to be an athlete, and this is what I ate before my meats. So it's like, oh, okay, sure. And like Great advertisement he, for Snickers. Totally, and he's asked – well, he did, yeah, he may, he may not be the winner. I, again, I won't spoil the doc. It's a, it's a good one to watch through, but um, he – um he yeah there's a point where the the filmmaker because these filmmakers you do hear their questions kind of in the background as well occasionally yeah sort of ask him you know how many how many Snickers do you think you've had and he's like oh god I don't know how many breaks have I had and you kind of consider how many breaks he has had like every five you know every hour and five minutes so he's probably gone through a significant amount of Snickers (laughs) you think you'd crash um for sure but with with these sorts of docos I feel like these are
0: often the ones that really good festival programming will seek out, find these gems totally. and put on a big screen. Um, you were saying that this is available on MailChimp, which I didn't even know was a streaming service? Yes, neither did I. <laughs> um,
2: but, yeah, it seems that MailChimp, which, you know, uh, news uh, – sorry, e-news kind of uh, provider – um, they now have a sort of streaming platform, so it's yeah you know, Mailchimp presents online for free and it's legal. Fantastic. Um, okay. Yeah, so you just sort of Google it and Google Mailchimp, it, it, it pops up. But, um,
0: okay. I'm definitely going to be watching this tonight.
2: <laughs> I love the it's sound. Wonder, of it. <laughs> it's a wonderful documentary. It's so funny, so charming, really. Yeah, and, and actually very moving. I nearly like, mm. cried at the end. I was like, ooh. <laughs> it's
0: surprising, isn't it, when something mm. you can and and that's really the strength sometimes of documentaries when you can think to yourself. I don't even think I cared about this, you know, yeah. subject, XYZ. I remember and when you first sent through this title of Hands on a Hard Body, I actually thought it was going to be about, um, like you know, like weightlifting. Yeah, <laughs> or yeah, like bodybuilding or something. Because I remember watching um, this documentary that was all about um, bodybuilding and it was really just fascinating because I was like, I didn't think I really cared that much about it. And yet I've watched so many films about like pumping iron and I, yeah, I I sort of developed this real niche of like, I I would actually like to see something completely outside of what I'd normally be interested in. Um, Erin, this is a fantastic pick. I'm definitely (laughs) adding this one. Erin, what else have you got for us?
2: Yeah. So I wanted to talk about camera person, uh, which is one of my favorite docs. Um, it's from 2016, and it's directed by a, a cinematographer called Kirsten Johnson. Uh, so she's shot for filmmakers or documentary filmmakers like Michael Moore and Laura Poitras. Uh, and in camera person, she she cuts together sort of 25 years of work into this personal sort of memoir, essay like travel travelog like uh, documentary that that really offers this reflection on on life on. Uh, you know, I guess, experience, places, uh, memory. It's this really moving, um, yeah, portrait of, yeah, I I guess work, but also sort of life. Mm. It's a bit existential, that explanation. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: so that comes up so often, though, doesn't it, with docos, where you like go to just like recommend it to a friend, and you're just like, it's about
2: the human experience, and <laughs> it's so much. hard not to say that because often that is what they're capturing. Yeah, I on think screen. documentary necessarily is, but in this film, yeah. So we we travel with Johnson uh, across the world. Um, you know, for example, we're in a, a birthing suite in in Nigeria. We're in uh, Brooklyn. We're in Bosnia, kind of after the war. Uh, Johnson is. Is sort of present throughout the film, uh, and I think that's what uh, part of the beauty of the documentary is. You know, she's she's behind the camera; she's the cinematographer, she's the camera person. Uh, but uh, they've used a lot of B-roll, uh, you know, of her sort of coughing, or of her chatting to the director, to make us uh, aware of her, her presence there. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of you're always kind of conscious of uh, of documentaries as sort of constructed constructed. Uh, art form as i was saying before but but yeah you're sort of viewing something as she is Mm. um yeah it's, it's a very powerful thing to sort of reflect on i think as you're watching the film
0: Absolutely, and that was available on... So well,
2: it's, a, it's a Madman uh, documentary, so it's on the DocPlay platform uh, and probably on a few other spots as well.
0: Yeah, I also highly recommend that, Doc. I really enjoyed seeing it a few years ago. Uh, Daniel, we played a track from this just before.
1: Yeah, um, Moon Age Daydream uh, out in cinemas at the moment. I think it's yes. still on at IMAX and selected cinemas around Australia. Um, obviously came out this year. Yeah, and for from... MIF,
0: right? It got day at, premiered at MIF?
1: Did premiere at Miff?
0: Yeah, I got to, I got to be one of those lucky people in
2: the IMAX theater. Mm. I saw it there as yeah. well. Fantastic! It was exhilarating. A won- yeah, <laughs> wonderful
0: film to see at IMAX. I felt like just overwhelmed. I, I in saw in the it, best way.
2: I saw it at
1: IMAX, and it was very. It was just an assault on the senses. <laughs> very, probably it's probably the best visceral, way to put it. Visceral, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen it, Eric?
2: Yeah, I saw it at uh, Miff at IMAX. We're as probably well. all at the same screening. Yeah, yeah we probably yeah, were. Yeah. You're sort of drowning in, in David Bowie, huh? <laughs> in a good way. Yeah, yeah. consensual.
1: It's – um, I, I had a lot of people sort of say to me before I actually went and saw it, they were kind of disappointed by it or they really? were like, be a little bit wary of it. It's oh. not what you might think. And so I went into it sort of thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be rubbish. Like I've heard all this incredible stuff about it. Went to Khan, yeah. did amazingly well at Khan and um, the – Filmmaker, uh, so it was directed, produced and edited, which is incredible, uh, by uh, Brett Morgans. Mm. Um, and he also did another amazing doco, a favourite of mine called The Kid Stays in the Picture, um, about Bob Evans, the Hollywood producer. Um, so um, I went along being a little bit sceptical, not really sure what to make of it. Um, and even... Uh, I emailed you last night, Flick, because I wanted to talk about it and then I wasn't sure if it was even a doco. And then I was like, you know what, it is a doco. Oh,
2: of course. It totally, definitely,
1: it totally yeah. is a documentary. The yeah. amount
0: of, if you have to sift through years of archival footage, <laughs> I'm like, mate, you get the title <laughs> of doco. <laughs> totally, because that's a huge part of it, isn't it? Um, and yeah, you, like, Brett Morgan would have just, I don't know how he even began to un- unpick this. I remember hearing him talk about it. Uh, before the MIF screening and he was just talked a bit about um, having to be hospitalised. <laughs> oh, really? Because <laughs> I don't know if it Bowie was exactly... Yeah, yeah, Bowie breakdown, um, just from, yeah, stress impacting his health. And, um, uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're all very thankful because it's worked out to be an amazing selection of footage. Um, I particularly love the Berlin years. I think everyone loves the Berlin years of Bowie, don't they? <laughs> the
1: best years, yeah. by far.
0: Yeah. But it, it is a spectacular doco.
1: It really is, and it, and it's interesting you're saying that about Brett having a breakdown. I, I, I was amazed, I didn't realise until the film finished and it came up with and edited by. The mm. editing and having to, like you said, sift through the footage for this mm. film is just ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know, like you said, where to start, what to add in. And narratively, I kind of, it, it's almost, I, I sort of look at it as part doco, part art installation mm. almost. And it's... Kind of beautiful in a way too because you're kind of looking at the career of Bowie and a lot of people obviously think of David Bowie as the musician, Spiders from Mars, you know, then there was the 80s Bowie, the Let's Dance version and the different versions of Bowie as a musician – But you're also sort of going on this journey and remembering, oh yeah, he was in all these incredible movies.
0: Yeah,
2: like he was an actor. Labyrinth, (laughs) Labyrinth. and there was
1: that one shot. I can't forget. You know, just the one (laughs) shot of the Goblin King in there, and it was like, yes, Yes. of course, I had to be in there. Um, But you know, a painter, dancer, just a Mm, true artist, Mm, and it was really amazing that they didn't do the classic kind of sit-down interview.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad there were, like, no talking heads in Mm. this film. No talking Mm. heads. It was beautiful. Yeah, such a relief. Some people have a lot of hatred for music docos. I feel like this is the most anti-music doco music doco. (laughs) But, I look, I love – I really enjoyed Moon Age Daydream. I think it's a film you definitely have to see on the cinema screen. I feel like I say that a lot, but –
2: it is. Erin, uh, what's your pick? Yeah, so, I mean, this, this kind of follows on quite nicely from, from Moonage. Uh, I wanted to talk about a doc uh, called Shirkers, uh, which I think also is a celebration of, of creativity. Uh, this one's streaming uh, on Netflix. And it's a film about – it's like part uh, – you know, it's partly a film about grief and memory, but also like this kind of uh, true crime investigation – they're well, not quite as sexy as that, but... Um, so, it's, so it's a doc about... Um, uh, and it's directed by Sandy Tan, who also sort of features in the film. And in the 90s, in 92, she made a 16-millimeter a film uh, in Singapore. She's Singaporean. Um, and, you know, it was her, her big kind of student project. She'd invested all this time and creative energy and was so passionate about this, this film she was creating. And her mentor, this man called George um he he vanished with the film canisters in oh, in wow. yeah like devastatingly vanished with the the film canisters and 20 years later um or maybe even longer than 20 years later the the film canisters sort of mysteriously show up so so the the documentary shirker's I guess, tracks back to the 90s, this time of intense creativity. Her and her fri- friends were sort of, you know, feminist punk punk rock types and into sort of renegade filmmaking and renegade creativity. And then also sort of reflect, you know, as, as adults now, they reflect back, her and her sort of uh, co-creators of this, this film or this film that never, never came to fruition, um, yeah, re- reflect back on, you know, the grief and what could have been and, uh, you know, this unfulfilled promise of something that they had these huge uh, dreams for. Yeah. Oh,
0: amazing. I've yeah. Sounds also very relatable and wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, spectacular. I feel like there's been so many recommendations I, I feel a bit distracted in writing them down. But um, <laughs> thank you both. You have been listening to Primal Screen on R with Flick forward on tonight's show we've been giving listeners a few hot recommendations of documentaries to check out that are currently streaming or available to watch at the cinema um i have had the great pleasure of being joined by documentary filmmaker daniel haywood and festival manager erin rosenberg before we wrap up though uh daniel we mentioned some of your fantastic film work um where can listeners go to, to have a look at all this
1: yeah, it's funny. Like the, the first film I made, this is Roller Derby back in 2011. The big distribution, um, or the way that was distributed, it was all DVD. So I'm sort of like Lewin Davis, like how he had all his records in boxes under (laughs) his bed. I've got all these boxes of DVDs uh, under my bed at home that I can't even give away these days. People (laughs) don't even have DVD players anymore. It's wrong.
0: I have one laptop that I hold onto purely because it has a DVD drive.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because
0: I'm like, how am I going to watch all the special features, which I love? (laughs)
1: Invaluable these days, too, Flick. But... um, I guess the best thing to do, I've got my own sort of website that has a sort of rundown and where to see the films. Mm. Um, So it's just simply DanielHayward.com.au. so H-A-Y-W-A-R-D. Yeah. Uh, So you can go to that website and you can see what films I've made, some of the music videos, short films, just kind of like my whole sort of breakdown of of my work and and where you can kind of see see the films
0: and your upcoming doco which i know is still in a a work in progress and may change shape and form but um hopefully we'll we'll see that up there when when it's totally
1: so yeah we're shooting that at the moment so it's an untitled sort of um documentary on the history and current look at melbourne hip-hop it's it's sort of getting into it you just don't realize just melbourne alone just how sparse and gigantic that scene is when you're trying to tackle the graph scene mcs djs the breakdancing scene and then you've got sort of the generations 80s 90s 2000s and then you've also got kind of like specific storylines floating through that so it's kind of a, a giant project but it's going along very well i'm teaming up with a music producer dimes paul dimer who's helping me produce, and an amazing cinematographer, Cameron Dunlop, is shooting it. Uh, So uh, hopefully, I think we could get it all shot by sort of middle of next year and then sort of, you know... The post production process. <laughs> Who knows? That's always the yeah.
0: Well, make make sure you take care of yourself because you know you don't want to. Have I
1: don't. I don't want to end up like Brett. <laughs> no,
0: no. I think we've all learnt something from that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Erin, currently you are working on the Jewish Inter- Jewish International Film Festival. Um, how's that going? And, and how much longer have we got that going for?
2: Um, yeah, it's been it's been going very well. It's um. <laughs> we were in our final week. So in Melbourne, uh, the festival closes next Sunday, uh, the 28th of, 27th of November, rather. Um, yeah, the, the festival is sort of 50% docos, in fact. Um, and uh, shout out to one doco, I suppose, is the film Reckonings, uh, which is about the uh, World War II reparations uh, that were given by the Germans to both sort of Jewish people on a kind of global global scale and the state of Israel. It's really, it's a very interesting look at, uh, you know, the negotiations leading into, yeah, the awarding of these reparations, which is obviously a a theme, I suppose, which is very applicable in a contemporary context. Um, It's kind of an unprecedented event, reparations on that scale. Um, And the film, this this filmmaker, Roberta Grossman, she, she makes history these kind of what what might sensibly like be a dry history doc into a really interesting, captivating film that uses a lot of kind of dynamic techniques, recreation, archive, interview, et cetera. More, more traditional doc kind of than what we've spoken about before, but but really um, engaging and sort of uh, something to learn, I suppose, along the way. So that's, yeah, screening for the next week across the festival.
0: And listeners can head to jiff.com.au to check out the full program and also to buy tickets. So, on tonight's show, we did give you a bit of a doco special um, and I hope you've got lots of recommendations. You can listen back to the show online at rrr.org.au or subscribe to our Primal Screen podcast. Um, Also, shout out to Luke Lay, who's going to be editing our podcast and for doing all our socials. Um, Thank you so much for your time, Erin and Dan. Thank Thank you very much. It's a pleasure.